is Tap In Time, a Chapman Stick podcast. Whether you've played the instrument for years or are just curious, if it's stick talk you're looking for, this is the place. So come along and stay a while. there and welcome to Tap In Time. This is episode number 27 and I am Victor. I'm Claire. And I'm Jean. Our guest on Tap In Time today is Jim Lampy. Jim has led a creative life and the Chapman Stick has been no small part of that. He has collaborated with a number of artists as well as put out his own music, and we are so delighted to have you here today, Jim. Welcome to Tap and Time. Thank you very much. Yeah, so let's start with this, man. Where, where are you, Jim Lampy? Where are you in the world? I'm in London. I'm in North London in Muswell Hill. So that is, um, Muswell Hill is actually the kinks country. So ah. half the things in Muswell Hill seem to be named after... <laughs> Uh, in fact, I did a little garden, beer garden gig the other week at a place called the Muswell Hillbilly, which I think is another <laughs> King's reference. So uh, there you are. Yeah. Well, I was a Pretenders fan. So by default, I am also a King's fan. That's how I found uh, out of it, you know, go way back. Right. So let me ask you this, Jim. When did you know that music was going to be a part of your life? Or when did you have that moment where your journey started? Well, I grew up in Southern California, which, you know how it is. And at that time, 60s kind of thing. And um, it was kind of by the time you hit university or high school, it seemed like it was almost required by law to play guitar and sing some <laughs> harmony. It was just the music of the day, wasn't sure. it? And, and I also, the area, there's a lot of Latin music, there's a country music, the pop music. I learned to play saxophone in the high school band. I mean, that, so that kind of was my first instrument. My brother went off to university, came back with a guitar. So, of course, I wanted to play guitar. And then I, you know, I just kept kind of playing up and starting in high school. And um, then I realized I could kind of play and I could almost sing in tune. And um, so that, (laughs) but music could introduce you to people. That's right. That's right. Music is a binding force. Right. Was there any particular artist that you liked to listen to at that time or was it? I was listening to Southern, you know, it's a real mix there. You hear country music where Mm -hmm. I grew up in the part of Los Angeles. There's a lot of Latino stuff. There's country music. Um, There's, of course, all the pop music of the day. Um, The first concert, actually, I went to was Hugh Masekela with a uh, with a f- the folk group which folk group was it it was one of the big folk groups at the time but I think I was more taken with Hugh Masekela and um, it was kind of that mixture but having said that that part of the suburbs of Los Angeles had no live music out in, in the far ends of San Gabriel Valley so you had to go all the way to Pasadena to see some live music so I just started playing guitar and trying to sing some songs. I, I was kind of into Van Morrison and, um, mm. and Joni Mitchell and, and some of the jazz. Um, but of course, I, learning saxophone, I played some classical music. And um, 
whatever whatever people would bring home, you know, and doors so and. Let me ask you: Is is you know kind of teasing here? So yes. is the saxophone a classical music instrument? Did you play the alto? Did you play the tenor? Or did you I played alto, but I thought tenor was much cooler. <laughs> tenor oh, is boy. way cooler. That's what I played. Yeah. yeah, I'm throwing it. I'm throwing it down. Come on. Yeah, tenor is cooler. You know, alto's a bit high, but it's not as squeaky as a soprano. But then again, I'm not Wayne. I'm not Wayne Shorter, so I can't make those things sound good. I actually only say that because I started on alto, and then in seventh grade, I switched to tenor. So, oh, uh, because you were cool. <laughs> it was actually because that's what they needed in the band. But thankfully, I preferred it. So. Band was a strange thing. <laughs> Band was a strange thing. So high school band was, I played alto, but it was really boring. And so I used to, you know, then they'd get you out there and they, plus it got a little bit embarrassing because band, I ended up in a high school where band wasn't cool. Oh. And you ended up marching around at the football games and you didn't play anything. So I I just was developing my ear a bit and I'd play along with the flutes and things like that. Yeah, these flutes are starting to sound a little bit rough. Uh, what's going <laughs> yeah, on with exactly. that? Exactly, <laughs> that's exactly what was happening. And we got this poor band director who was actually a really good jazz player, I think, and used to work in Las Vegas. And here he got a steady gig teaching a, a high school band out in San Gabriel Valley in Azusa. Yeah, yeah gigs a gig, <laughs> right? Just yeah. Take. And Keep. suddenly you saw him. Just a poor guy was in his office. He'd turn off the lights. He'd put on Miles Davis or something, and he'd be on his heads in his hands. And he, you know, because the kids just didn't care. They didn't want, they didn't work, they weren't interested at all. And I kind of lost interest in that version of m- music. So I was, you know, but I was starting to find my own kind of things. And um, yeah, and that's, and when I got, I went to Cal Poly and uh, would meet musicians there. So it was, um, you know, it was great. I met some actually people that were just turned out to be great musicians. And it was a time, it was a good time for music too. So, but I was still into singer songwriters and, and um, joined the first band that I was in kind of thing that was away from saxophone playing. And I would play guitar and... Um, that was cool. Yeah, it was a bit more cool, you know, cool and, and the, the guitar player, this was in Claremont, which Claremont had colleges. So it was much cooler than Azusa. You know, quick side story. I went to the National Guitar Summer Workshop at the Clare, at the Scripps College, which is actually oh. an all girls college. So that's actually where I first met Emmett in 1989 or 1990. And uh, they had, you know, workshops there. And, you know, every now and then they would have a... Uh, the, the Chapman stick players. And it was kind of like, if you've ever seen Caddyshack, you know, where like <laughs> the caddies get to use the pool for like, from like four to four fifteen, you know, and like, it's like this big party going on for like 15 minutes. There's the stick players out there with all the guitar players and the bassists and stuff like that. And it's just this odd bunch of the outcasts and miscreants and, um, at Claremont. Yeah. So Claremont was cooler, you know, they, they, than where I grew up. So they, this band, the guitarist was really into all kinds of stuff. And it was funny. I remember him going, oh, we got to play a John Martin song. We got to play a John Martin song. And I didn't quite know who John Martin was, but, you know, he, he'd dig out Solid Air and, and um, great album. And um, so we would do some different stuff. But uh, my architecture department, which I was in, decided to run away from Cal Poly and they went off and formed a school called SciArc, which is still going today. And it's quite a well-known school, but the teachers were wonderful. It's the first time I was really, I was a bit, you know, taken back because it was the first time I was really in a really creative environment 
I was, you know, in high school, I could, embarrassingly, I could paint and draw, and that was actually kind of embarrassing. And I was too small to be any good at football. I, I was on the football team for a while, and I think I got pummeled into the ground. And I survived without any scars. What so. were you thinking? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I played football one year to ask myself the same question. It was like, yeah. what was I thinking? Even my mom and my dad were like, we don't think this is a good fit. Like baseball. You really like baseball. <laughs> Maybe if baseball, only, G. If like, only soccer had been big. You know? <laughs> so so what was, did you study at Cal Poly? Architecture. So it was architecture. Okay, I wanted yeah, to, wanted to they, make sure I got that. Yeah. They, I, so I had two years and of they, architecture. Yeah, they went off to be their school, yeah. And I had to decide whether I wanted to go to SciArc. I thought of going to, it was the design school, what was it called? Pasadena Design Center? Is that right? I forgot the name now. The Art Center, um, I think. The Art Center, yeah. And the, Well, that's in, that's a Disney one, isn't it? Anyway, there were a couple of those. And there was Pasadena was more of a design school. And I kind of didn't, I was, stupidly, I was worried about the cost of a private school, which now, of course, all schools cost a fortune kind of thing. So yeah. in hindsight, but I ended up following my other friend from the band and we went down to San Diego, okay. which was much more fun. Actually, we got a little house on the beach in South Mission Beach. And, you know, it was full of people who, you know, would wake up in the morning and didn't have any idea what was going on. And, and there were, you know, there was beach bums and stewardesses and drops outs. And, yeah, I was there just I, last night. Yeah, there you were. I was in San Diego. It's the it's America's finest city. It's beautiful. It was wonderful. I mean, in terms of great escapism, and we had this little beach house, and we had a band in the front room. So cool, you know. And yeah, and it was uh, it was great. So I went to finish down in San Diego State. Um, The department wasn't really good. But I was finally getting a little more confidence. You know, you get a little bit older, and and I was. You just walk into any department and go, can I use this? So I would go in and play with the because I'd already been in a school that was really high pressure in a way, but it was much more creative. And this was boring. So I I just go, oh, OK, so this is boring, you know, and I'd be getting too sarcastic with my projects. So I would go off and to the vacuum forming section or the engineering section and see if they could help me make something a little more interesting. And I was playing guitar. So and I got my first music gigs. At, you know, playing guitar and singing kind of, you know, copies and stuff. Was that, did you get a gig out? Were you gigging in San Diego? Was that where you were? I started doing some gigs, but we were the typical kind of band that we would play these, I don't know if you'd call them festivals or at the uni. And mm-hmm. one guy was going to San Diego while well, I was going to state. He was going to University of San Diego uh, my other friend had just finished. So we play wherever we could play. You know, occasionally it was clubs, but it was mostly these, you know, those, you know on the back of a truck kind of thing, you know, and you're playing strange things. And it was 20 nice. bucks, right? Like we weren't, we're in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I was kind of getting serious listening to music and I was starting to listen to, you know, fusion music at the time was great. Mm-hmm. You know, there was weather report was starting to happen. And, and of course you're, you're getting yeah. into Miles Davis and, and all the ECM. I really liked ECM music. Yeah. Bill and, uh, you know, Steely Dan was a big influence on me yeah. and whatever anybody else, Tom kept bringing in country music. So, you know, it, and also Emmylou Harris and all this kind of alternative country kind of thing that was happening at the time. So, you know, singing harmonies and at the same time playing a little bit of sax. 
And I thought of taking up piano because I really wanted to write things. But of course, as a sax player, it's pretty hard to be a composer in a lot of ways, unless you play to understand what's going on. And I thought of taking up piano and I went to a gig with two piano players and this side was Herbie Hancock and this side was Chick Corea. And I realized I just wasn't going to make it. You know, I, it was like, okay, well, what can I do? You know, and I read this article in the Los Angeles Times about the Chapman stick. And he described this instrument as this amazing invention. And he talked about how it was you know, polyphonic, polyrhythmic, uh, kind of like a piano player, uh, a string player's approach to something like a piano, which was what I was looking for. And, and what, what year was this, Jim? Probably around 76, 77. Wow. Okay. So the instrument was... Yeah, yeah. It was a, you know... So it was probably two, three years old, and Emmett was out playing around Los Angeles and stuff. And I remember, that, so I bought that Alfonso Johnson album, the one where he's kind of, you know, hugging. And I think the stick, and he was one of the first things I heard using the stick. And I decided, you know, that I would go buy one or at least go look. And I think I drove to Newport Beach was the closest place, Guitar Center or something like that. And... Um, they had one hanging on the wall. Nobody knew how to play it. It looked like it had been grimed over with thousands of teenage hands. And <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> I had no idea. Uh, no, I actually had to go ask my mother to borrow the money. Which she's going, this is not what you, you know, we've sent you to university. This is not what you went to university for. M Mom's like, aren't you happy with your saxophone? <laughs> what happened to the piano? Like what? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you know. And, you know, so I, yeah, I bought that instrument, didn't know how to play it. I didn't particularly like the tone of it right out of the box, but I thought this is a new invention. I'll, I'm a bad, I don't know how to play. I'll make it sound better as I learn to play, blah, 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 blah. And because yeah, um, who's going to know whether you're actually playing it well or that's not? That's right. <laughs> this, is, this is the point. This was another point. I was... At the time, I was the worst Chapman stick player in San Diego. But I was also the best Chapman stick player in San Diego. <laughs> Both facts. Right? And I started taking it out because the one thing I decided I wanted to play music, I got a design job out of university. It looked great, but I was bored stiff and a little bit embarrassed because it was uh, giftware and other things. And yet I was in this office shared by architects who were doing you know, real stuff. And so I was trying to get music gigs on my own and with my friend Phil. And I got some with a, a, a singer named Bonnie. And we we played these chain of restaurants like Hung, Hungry Hunter and all these came things. And Bonnie was a very good singer, kind of in the Stevie Nicks vein, which was that I think album was out the, the big rumors and everything. And I would play guitar and occasionally it would be a trio and we would play these chains. But of course, it was San Diego. So Bonnie was very, let's say, curvaceous. And the Marines, the full moon would out and the Marines would be fighting. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it was. Oceanside. It was. Ocean, yeah. yeah. Oceanside's where you got all thank the. Thank you very the, much. You yeah, got the, it. Yeah. All the we guys were playing, the I think hair. it was a hungry hunter in Oceanside. Yeah. And I was just thinking, I kind of want to play music because I remember also the two best known bands 
in San Diego at the time that were local. One was a singer-songwriter who was an alcoholic, but I think he wrote a song that the Eagles used. And the other band was known for snorting tequila up their nose. So I realized I just wasn't going to fit in. (laughs) (laughs) Stick with the design gig. And I wasn't tall and blonde. So, you know, they didn't think, I, you know, from San Diego or something, you'd go back, visit my relatives back east. And I didn't fit the California image either. So me and Phil decided to move to San Francisco because they had chains. And that actually got our way up there. So we could play up there. We could play and we could throw in other kind of music. So we'd throw in some Steely Dan. We'd throw in, um, you got to make it real compared to what? And I'd bring out my saxophone, you know, and that kind of stuff. So, and he would play Fender Rhodes and I'd have to help him drag the Fender Rhodes everywhere. So all the while it was the pursuit of a musical life. I mean, it was really like, yeah, college and yeah, job. But like, we want to, we want to. I was doing artwork too. I liked, Mm. I, you know, the funny thing is you, you, like anything, you, but I, as a kid, I was good at artwork, but it's kind of embarrassing from where I was from because all you saw were kind of little old ladies doing, you know, watercolors of flowers. And that's what my aunts and uncles wanted me to do. And, you know, and you reach an it's age antelope. where it's, it's kind of embarrassing. And I, I did some big oil paintings and, you know, I sold a couple kind of things to people. But you know what I meant? It was embarrassing. And then, of course, architecture showed me that people could be creative. And it was really kind of hardcore and yeah. you would do all kinds of things. And then I liked music, but I wasn't, I didn't think I was any good. And of course, guitar, there's a thousand great guitars True. and there's yeah. so many good musicians that I just didn't know how I was going to get into it. When, when you were in Southern California, did you, did you get to chance to, to go to Stick Enterprises or to meet Emmett or it was like you got her from the well, store? Well, I left out. Yes, I forgot. Sorry. So I'm in San Diego. I buy the stick. And I go, I call Stick Enterprises and I expect it's some little factory somewhere in, you know, somewhere in Los Angeles. <laughs> and I say, can I come up and I need new strings? Okay. And so Phil and I drove up to what we thought was going to be some little music factory, kind of like a small guitar factory somewhere in Los Angeles. And suddenly we're up in Laurel Canyon, you know, and on the side of the hill. And it's all looking very, you know, Hollywood in, in kind of that at the time, you know, and they, the music that was coming out of there in Laurel Canyon. And you knock on the door and, oh, hello, you know, and, and Utah comes out, you know, and, <laughs> and there's the daughters and Dinah and Gracie. And, and then yeah. it comes out and the dog comes out and attacks you and... And then I go, yeah, it's the garage. And and they were on the side of the hill. So at that time, they were just on the side of the hill. And so that I got to meet. Yeah, it was. Oh, okay. This is this is Stick Enterprises. And was was that inspiring or was that like invigorating or like what was that? I mean, like when you came away from that. It was in the sense that it was like, oh, this great instrument. It's a great idea. Everything. And you can meet the people. I didn't even Mm -hmm. think I could meet Emmett Chapman, Mm -hmm. you know. And um, suddenly, you know, I'm sitting there in the house and there, you know, you just Having going, tea, would you like right? a cup of coffee? You know, <laughs> you have a cookie. Yeah, you know, like, oh, OK. You know, and we're in Laurel Canyon surrounded. That was where all the, you know, the music stars of the time all lived in Laurel Canyon, you know. That's right. Yeah. And, and Firesign Theater and all these kind of things and occasionally. And mm-hmm. so I kept playing the stick. I, I did, sorry, I went off 
I actually had a duo for a little while and we tried it out in one of those hungry hunter type restaurants. I met a guy who played a Moog synth, you know, with the punch. He looked like he was a phone operator. You know, he had the punch. <laughs> right, you know? So yeah. I'm playing the stick badly and he's playing a Moog synthesizer. It didn't go over well. It didn't go over. So basically <laughs> it was back to trying, you know, something. In fact, I think I was told to burn the instrument at one point by oh, someone. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. Because yeah. it was my playing. It wasn't, you know. And also you're trying to figure out how to get the sound you want out of it. Everybody's yeah. trying to do different stuff. So is anyway, bass, that's, is it a guitar? No one knows that's for sure. at the point where I thought I worked my way through San Diego as far as I was going to get. And we moved up to following that chain that could give us gigs. We moved up to the San Francisco area and I ended up around Palo Alto. And that was really, really lucky because that was the first time I happened to fall in in Palo Alto at the time, there was a place called the Varsity Theater. City Theater. I think I might have heard of that. Tell me about it. Well, it was just this great opportunity for me to get around people that were amazing musicians. And because I couldn't find anyone, I was teaching myself to play the stick. Also, I, I met um, Bob Colbertson and Jim Bruno. Oh, that's cool. Wow. And they well, yeah, that played, could be helpful. They, they were literally, what, was that five miles away over in... Um, oh, that's so cool playing at, I think they were teaching and they were, I, you know, I just, when I was beginning to get, well, I thought I was becoming a stick player and I went and saw them and went, Oh, better go back and practice. You know, and they were, they were teaching Stanley Jordan, I think okay. is from Palo Alto. Mm -hmm. He used to go watch Emmett Chapman and, and I think he, and he would go to some of the seminars in that area. It was just a great time to be in music there. Emmett showed him to play in forts. Ah. Yeah, so he tuned his guitar, or fifths rather, and it showed him to tune Did his guitar. Did he? Oh, I didn't know he tuned his guitar in fifths. I believe that he tunes it in fifths. Wow, okay. I could be wrong, but I don't think I am, as I recall. Okay. So, so that this sounds like this magical moment in time. This was my chance to see people that were playing, that were great musicians when I thought I, you know, I was still in that kind of bar scene trying to figure out how to, you know, how do you play weather report at a bar scene kind of thing. <laughs> and I was trying to play, you know, I, in fact, I've occasionally dug that one out, weather report tunes and, and these other th songs and Steely Dan tunes. I was trying to learn, this was the kind of stuff I was trying to learn to play and some Latin stuff and jazz stuff. And here are suddenly all these people unsigned. And I thought, well, they're unsigned. They're amazing. And I got, I took lessons from, I took some lessons from Emmett, which gave me a, a kind of freed you up because he didn't approach things in a, in a this is the way we shall learn to play music, you know, right. he didn't, that wasn't his approach. 
And so he was always in this kind of abstraction, but it got me away from thinking, you, if you want to play this style of music, you play like this. But I started taking some lessons from Tuck. And Tuck would, because he didn't tap, he didn't tap on his guitar, and he didn't play stick, but he really understood kind of like, oh, you got this instrument. This is tuned in fourths and fifths, it's uniform tuning. Okay, I want you to go home and take, um, these are, this is what a triad is on three strings. I want you to work it all out on the instrument. This is, you know, how you can modify this. Go home, do it, modify, you know, work it out on your instrument. And so he was giving me this kind of framework to actually hang music. I tried to get into Berkeley School in Boston with it. But those people in Boston. <laughs> Don't, those people in Berkeley. <laughs> those people in Berkeley. What's this instrument, you know? Um, so they wouldn't let me in with it. Uh, I, you know, so, but um, I, Tuck actually gave me kind of what I needed hmm. to feel like, okay, I can understand some music with this. And I also took a couple of lessons from, a, I can't remember his name, a really good um, a jazz pianist who also played lots of Latin. So he would give me these odd time signatures, but for two hands, you know, like Montunas with um, mm -hmm. the bass does this, the high end traditionally, you know, and different styles you know, and odd time signatures and things like that. But at the same time, you, I got an opening. I played an opening, a solo opening for Jerry Garcia, and um, so cool. you know, it is his the um, kind of Hell's Angels protection unit almost was going to kill me because I was backstage with this funny case, you know. And I'm only in the opening act. No, yeah. <laughs> we don't like your instrument. We don't like it. Yeah, and <laughs> and Tuck tried to line me up with Bobby McFerrin. He says he might like a, some backing because Bobby McFerrin wasn't signed either. Amazing. And he was over mm. in, you know, Berkeley, and so I got I got finally got some gigs in more like somewhat jazz. Well, you could play anything you wanted. I I can't remember the name of the club, but it was it was that was my introduction. That San Francisco at the time was a great place to see music and live music and local people. And bands come through, and I, you'd turn on the radio. We were talking about radio stations. You'd turn on late night at UC Berkeley. First time I heard Stephen Reich, he was doing these weird tape loop things where he would go out and record people's voices before the show, and then he'd mix them during the show. And <laughs> it was just, you know, it's like, all right, you know, this is interesting. Stephen Reich's doing this. and What a time to be in that area. Oh, my goodness. Ah, like, and, and you'd go, oh, there was a guy's living room in um, Half Moon Bay. You, and he, I think it was called the, ba the Bach Beach and Dynamite Society. And he would find all the jazz players that would come to town. And they would come and play in his living room on Sunday afternoon. And for like $5, you could see all these people. He had the weed, right? It, it, and, and, and they'd sell a beer and a sandwich. And Tell me I'm wrong, Claire. They, Tell me I'm wrong, right? Like, come on. I, I don't know anything about that kind of thing, Gene. <laughs> like, uh, and, I, and I've not been in that area. I'm sorry. I can't. But at that <laughs> moment, it was just great. It was amazing. So I would see these people. And then and then Patty would come in and sing with somebody, you know, who's famous who'd come in and played from the East Coast. and. Yeah, very musical. Uh, and, yeah, like creative. And um, I don't know if the word is like safe, but like just 
really kind of finding the boundaries of like the creative and fun and innovative. And it feels like you were in the right place at the right time. That was one of those moments when you look back, I was in, that got me going, Mm. made me feel more like I could maybe be a musician, you know, and there were people that were great. They weren't signed. That doesn't mean anything. They were great. Everybody knows they're great. And hence they did become well-known and, and yeah, it was just, it was a wonderful time to be in San Francisco. I still did some artwork, um, tried to get some design jobs here and there. I think somebody asked me to do it, some interior drawing for Chuck E. Cheese, which was, of course, very exciting. Yeah, um, big, time. My, big time. Big time, big <laughs> time. So um, disco music hit and it became suddenly the whole shift in these kind of places was going to lit up the dance floors, you know. And a DJ, kind of the beginning of the real DJ scene and people playing, was it backgammon? They would all play backgammon and they'd have open shirts and gold medallions and, <laughs> you know, and they were building up the area around the, the harp, the bay was being built up in some of the hotels. So that became the th- kind of thing. And I didn't really know quite what to do. And I, you know, so I was wondering whether I start studying, uh, go back and do the artwork, design work or something. And I thought, well, at this point in my life, I've never been over to Europe. People told me you can go over there and you can busk and or meet people and gigs and travel around and you can go to Amsterdam, buy a car. There's a whole setup at that time. You could show up in Amsterdam, buy a car and then drive it around, take it back, leave it in Amsterdam. Somebody would buy it. And I figured, well, this was a good time to do that. And I thought I'd come back after a summer and then I have to take my life more seriously and see what's out there. And I went over. England was tough job. They weren't interested in the stick, really. Um, but they had, you know, Denmark Street. That, you know, it's a big city. So you show up and Denmark Street was this one street with all music stores. And you kind of come in and they say, this is Chapman Stick. Yeah, that's interesting. But we've got a thousand guitars. And... Um, I always like to loudly proclaim I'm from Southern California, like lead with that. I'm very interesting. <laughs> I'm from California. Right. So what? I'm yeah. fascinating, right? So that's interesting. You said that that they weren't really interested in the stick because there's a thousand guitarists. That's And it wasn't really, it wasn't their fault so much. It's just that I didn't know anybody. You couldn't really busk. Busk, I thought, maybe I'll try to busk. I brought an amp with me. It was I had a whole setup. I'd built a crate, and I tried to figure out if I could play in clubs, and I this is where going, well, what am I going to do? I've got enough to... Um, I barely made it to Amsterdam, I you know, but I got on a thing and got over there, and then it started to kind of work out. I managed to line up. They were more interested. Um, I... Didn't know what quite what to do. I got a couple of gigs, but it was going to be a while before. You know, gigs don't happen the next day. But somebody said, why don't you go busking? Here, buy this little, in a music store, why don't you buy this little battery-powered amp? You go out, you know, and, and there was about four or five places. At that time, busking was okay. And you can go out about four or five different of these areas in, in Amsterdam and people busk. And I, I was, well, I'm not really a busker, but I can give it a try. And I bought this little battery-powered amp, went out in the street, played a little of this, played some weather report, you know, what I was trying to learn. I got taken to lunch and made about $50. And I said, I'm going to survive, you know. 
So I bought a car, went off, met a bunch of people in Paris, started playing a bunch of Americans, uh, Scandinavians. What year was this, Jim? Jim, what, what, where? I don't know. It was like the um, 80s? Yeah, the 80s. 80s. Okay, so this was before the 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 the, the North recording, this was with Michael Mann. Or oh, yeah, that's North is the last one I actually had a chance to record and record, yeah. Okay, we'll get, and we'll get to that. We'll get to that. What got you to Europe in the first place? It sounds like... It, it, what got me there in the first place is basically disco music, I guess. There was oh, no that place push, for, pushed <laughs> you out of San Francisco? You got pushed yeah. out versus you decided yeah, to go I just, somewhere? I okay. either had to be serious okay. or to continue to play. I thought the only way, as a stick player, the only way I'm going to get better is to play. You know? And the American approach really is you've got to get gigs also because there's nothing, there's no dole to live on or anything like that. And I wasn't, you know, I was past the university situation and I wasn't going to get into Berkeley and in Boston. So I thought, okay, I'll just go bust through the summer, you know, and I'll continue to play. And that kind of got me going. So I went all around Europe. And sometimes the wonderful thing is sometimes you'd actually play real gigs and the audiences were great. Sometimes you'd be busking in front of 200 people. Sometimes nobody was there and your feet are in the car, you know, and you're sticking up. Next day, I was sleeping in a chateau in, in Salzburg because the guy, some guy, his parents said were diplomats. And he said, you can come stay at my place, you know, and they're guitarists or they're this. And what's this great instrument? That's one thing, isn't it, with the stick? When you find the people that go, wow, that is different. Yeah. Life yeah. of the party. Well, it's just, what is that thing, you know? Yeah. How are you doing that? And people come up and go, you know, what is that? Can you make it sound like a trumpet? You know, and you go, well, it's a string instrument. Look, you bend the strings, you know, it's a real instrument. So, and so that was kind of my party piece, you know, and my shtick. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it was kind of, you know, and, and I tried to keep learning to play, though, because the one thing, you, as a busker, you can kind of fall into knowing your your best five songs. Mm. But because it was still kind of new to me and I was traveling around and I wasn't staying in the same place. I didn't have that. I didn't have that mentality yet of doing, I would just go out and I'd try to write originals and try to play the songs I like and hopefully play a few that somebody recognized and liked. And that's always one of my favorite moments with, with certainly with live performance when somebody comes up and says, Oh, I really like that song. As opposed to, hey, what is that? You know, because then it's like the, the conversation is less about music and more about the instrument, which is yeah. fine. Stick players yeah. love to talk about the stick. But um, the, uh, the, I think that's the, just about the nicest compliment that you can receive as, as a musician is when someone says, I like that song. And that song means something to someone. That song has like, you know, has a history. It brings back a memory or something like that. And, um, I expect that when you were out in these different countries with this, you know, you were, you know, this, the fascinating, innovative American, you know, that, that, that knows the songs of the day on this <laughs> wild instrument, you know, and I could, I, I could see it fitting in, in all these different situations and how in, in each case, it was that something new. Right. And, and I suppose musicians and not just musicians, creative people kind of seek that out, that frontier, you know, where, where that is. And I expect that, um, you know, it was probably pretty cool to get a gig with the Chapman stick player from America, you know. 
Maybe. <laughs> and sometimes, and of Maybe. course, the first, first people sometimes are singers. And, it, it, you know, it becomes a practical thing, too, doesn't it? You know, like a singer is looking for accompaniment. You, their choice is generally without a group or generally a pianist. That's right. Or guitarist. Then, then it starts going down the list because it's pretty hard to accompany somebody with a tenor sax or an alto. <laughs> and uh, people try, but it, you know, it's and a lot so of waiting. some of the things, sometimes <laughs> if I could pull it off and sound musical, maybe somebody would come up to me and say, oh, you know, that might be interesting. Maybe you could learn a couple of my songs. And also, I think because I was in a loose situation, it gave me permission to try original material. And to play instrumentals because most, you know, how it the, when you're trying to gig in the U.S. at gigs, it's you become very sometimes very very good technically, but you kind of forget what you like about music because you unless you really like what you're playing. But oftentimes you're supposed to be if it's this kind of club you play this music and this set kind of set. At least it was in the situation I was kind of in outside of places like the Varsity, and so. It gave me permission to be more original, to try to sing, you know, to be a bit better at my, that kind of thing, to write a song, to write an instrumental, to try something that perhaps might not go over as well. And, you know, same thing. And, and you meet different people and they would influence you and... We've covered your travels throughout Europe and the introduction to the instrument. At what point did you decide it's time to make my own album? It's time to record. It's time to have my identity with this instrument, you know, set to tape. Well, I've been um, writing material throughout different situations and playing with different kinds of people. And I did spend a year and a half up in Scandinavia, so I got to meet some of the ECM people and things like that. And I would occasionally get a chance to go in the studios and record a little bit, but not my own material. And, you know, the thing at the time is you did need a studio really to record. Recording on your own was pretty hard. So, when I ended up in London, I was repping for Emmett also. So I would go around Europe playing trade shows. That was became another more practical approach. Okay, wait. Time out. Time out. You were a, like a Stick Enterprises representative in Europe? Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> that was fun. It was. It got to meet a lot of people. Got some very embarrassing moments. Wow. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, I'm sorry. You opened it. You opened a doorway there. Yeah, I want to exactly. hear at least one of these embarrassing moments. Yeah. 
just because it's my most embarrassing moment of my it's life. Just, it, it just, yeah, well, with, with regards to the stick, I mean, you know, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta hear that. Okay, my um, embarrassing moment. Um, I so I would play the trade shows with Emmett. Um, I'd play the the um, Nam show, but uh, Frankfurt Music Messa, uh, the the French the French one, um, and I played Italy. So I got to meet all these stick stick players. Got st- you know over there in Verna and all these people, and up in Scandinavia and Sweden. And so I went to Nam show, one of the last Nam shows I played, and and it's Sunday afternoon and we're all a bit hung over and tired and Guta goes <laughs> typical Nam Sunday that's what um, Sundays are for oh, right? yeah not for me normally you know I of course didn't join in and that kind of thing I would of course just go home at 4 o'clock in the afternoon and not but, lying to me so, Jim Lampy. not lying to me well, yes um, so <laughs> I'm so Guta goes Jim why don't you play Birdland uh, and I'm kind of, you know, not exactly there. You know, and, and, and you know, it's a four o'clock hungover in the afternoon kind of version. And I finish, da, 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 you know, and I look over and Utah's talking German to someone. You can probably guess where this is going. She's speaking German to this guy, little beanie cap on, and he's got this... <laughs> teenager next to him who's looking at me kind of going wanker you know kind of and <laughs> and, and I he leaves they leave and um Yuta comes over to me and she, she says Jim I said I said to her was that Joe Zoino <laughs> and she says yes would you like to meet him Oh. I go, no, 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 no. I just destroyed <laughs> the song. Oh, we need you to know, find me like, a cab. And also, it's also the song I think he began to hate because everybody would kind of either fall into Birdland or Mercy, Mercy, Mercy. That is embarrassing. Yeah. So he's already hates the song and it looks like I'm sycophantically trying to whip up this song for him, you know. He goes out and gets him and oh, brings no. him back with his son. Who's still looking at me like wanker, you know? And he, you know, and she's, oh yeah, this is Jim, and, and I'm kind of embarrassing, oh hello, and blah blah blah. And then she goes, would you like to hear him play something else, kind of thing? And I, I you know, I, I managed to get out of that, but <laughs> Yuda, it, Yuda, just like <laughs> cut, cut, <laughs> you know, and, and it was just, yeah, it was basically my, I didn't play Birdland in front of people until many years after he died because it basically, yeah, it was embarrassing. And I heard that he got to hate that song after a while because of exactly like people like me playing bad versions of Birdland <laughs> in front of him. So I think that musically that was my, just about my most embarrassing moment. Yeah. 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 Oh, we wow. We've well, we we had him. Yeah. We do love a good crash and burn. I crashed and burned at the Freehands Academy, and maybe Claire doesn't remember it, but like <laughs> it was so hard to take. I remember. And then I remember, um, you know, like that becomes your power source. You're like, well, that's not going to happen again. And this is what I'm going to do to do that. Well, I've had those. They still keep crashing, burning. <laughs> <laughs> that's original. Yeah, that's I'm true. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, thank you for that little bunny trail there. So, uh, where were we when we're trying I trying to record? Okay. So, I needed. <laughs> I wrote 
writing material and I'd been playing with different, you know, people and getting different ideas and, you know, this influence stuff, African stuff and everything and these different groups. And I came to London as a rep for Chapman. And as the typical story goes, um, also met my future wife. And so I'm still here. And that, so I was doing demos of the stick though at, on Denmark street. Well, at least I, you know, and I was trying to do this and I would play out front and you would meet all kinds of people. You know, I, people would come by and, and, you know, it was, I was uh, demoing for broad origins. So that's what they'd have me do. And Rose Morris. And I met a guy who wanted, he said he was a record uh, connected with Polygram and, you know, I will, you would like to make an album. I think we can make an album with you. I, I won't mention his name and everything, but he was a Eastern European. Uh, and so he decided we would make this album. And that was the first album I did, which um, TV weather. All right. So that was the one that I recorded. Half of it, I think, is the way kind of I wanted it. And then it began to go off the rails. I think partly just, you know, he wanted it a certain way. And uh, at least I wrote all the material. I tried to play ideas that I liked. There's, you know, I played some sax on it. So, you know, I kind of was just thinking, okay, what kind of sound? I was trying to arrange. And that's the nice thing about the stick, isn't it? It's being, you start thinking much more like I imagine a pianist would think. You start thinking more arrangement. You stop thinking I'm playing the stick and you start thinking, okay, in the low end, I'd like this, or it's got a certain kind of groove, or I, I like this combination, or I like these harmonies. And um, yeah, so I write the material of that. Um, and um, that was my first album. And I had a little bit of backing from uh, this record company. And I would go around, driving around, and play BBC radio stations with, what's that funny instrument you're playing, kind of thing. And um, I got one gig, but the thing is, he was a bit, this guy was a bit, it was a smaller and subsidiary of Polygram. And he was a bit of megalomaniac. And he didn't trust people from other, Eastern Europe is kind of a strange place. If you're from Serbia, you don't like the people that are from Poland because they're going to be, or you don't like somebody. It, it seemed like that at the time. And they go, well, you know, because they're all like this. Or This was this one guy, basically. So I managed, without him, I managed to get a gig at a festival. in, And this was the 92, so the wall had just come down. And I managed to get a, a gig at a festival in Warsaw. Um, and it was a great festival. I mean, I was just lucky to be there as a, as a stick player. There was Chick Corea was there, Jack Bruce. Um, I, another embarrassing moment. I almost had a, de a jam session with um, Dennis Chambers, and mm. I don't remember who else. And basically, I'd sit there with the instrument like this, and I couldn't, nobody, somehow they couldn't get the sound. So I stood through the whole jam session of this short, whatever, you know, five, ten minutes, standing there holding the stick and kind of pretending like I was playing because I couldn't hear anything. And nobody heard anything of what I was doing anyway. So that was a, another one of those special moments. So that was my and I would promote that that LP 
um, at different places. So that was, yeah, that was my introduction to record companies and um, the biz. Uh-huh. Yeah, the biz. There was this other opportunity with Michael Manring. So being a bassist, you know, you, you know a thing or two about him and how uh, he, well, I he knew is from the varsity theater, kind of. Right. So kind of a, an innovative player, and so it was yeah, a wonderful player. An interesting pairing between those two. So now, had you come back to the states when that was recorded? We actually, I came to the states, um, back to California. We did some um, writing, looking for ideas for sound. Because I didn't, we didn't want it to be just two people, you know, jamming. We wanted more of a sound. And I think the, the way it kind of came out is it came out a bit more like an ECM album, let's say, in, in, in a sense for, you know, for us. And he sounds a bit more like he's a cellist and a horn player. Yeah, so... You're speaking of the album North, is that correct? Yeah, speaking of North, yeah. Yeah, now is... He was playing a fretless, it sounds like. Yeah. I mean... It's uh, electric fretless, yeah. Yeah, it, I mean... Like fuzz. The stuff he was doing was really pretty slick. I mean, your playing was awesome, too, but... Uh, well, I was orchestrating. I was uh-huh. just... I In my head, I'm going string section or pizzicato or... You know, or occasionally it would fall into a style. But a lot of it was that kind of... You know, okay, he's got this big, wonderful sound, and I'm backing a soloist. And he gets to be, you know, as a bass player. So I'm taking the role of a different thing. I'm the arranger around a soloist. And that's kind of, I think, I'm, I, I think that almost holds out through the entire al- you know, album. And we recorded part of it the way I talked about in California. And then we would just start sending tracks to each other. And we'd go, yeah, that's fine, but that just sounds like us jamming or, you know, groove playing or something. So it, the style kind of, it really did start to find its style of more ECM and not worried about whether we're showing off or, you know what I mean, that where you suddenly find two people playing. And you might think it sounds good, but then you listen back and it just sounds like two people playing way too fast and way too many notes. Too many notes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which stick hands, I must admit. Look, that I can happens. play too many notes in both hands. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and in an odd time signature. There yeah. you go. Yeah. And so we settled back in this thing. Okay, what is the, you know, if we find a, a, a mood, a, a sound, and it, let's say for better or worse, it kind of came off somewhat like an ECM-ish kind of thing. And so a lot of it was recorded on my little, my little four-track, eight-track 
you know, Digitech, which one was that? Anyway, one of those little, at the time, finally, I could record myself. So as long as it wasn't compressed, you could have digital recording. So uh, most of it was recorded like that. Hmm. ask a friend who the album that I did there there's a one um, uh, it's called Digital Dreaming where I went to Australia with my, a friend who's a producer and um, we went to Australia because he had a connection in Australia and we traveled around and worked with the Aboriginal musicians and Zoys is a great producer and he used to produce people like Spandau Ballet and, and Burning Spear and so we were suddenly in Australia and traveling around and everybody was adding these different things. And um, we luckily worked with a, a great um, local Aboriginal singer called Frank Yama. And so he added whatever he wanted to add. And um, I, it still holds up okay. Oh, I think it holds up really well. I had not actually heard anything off of it until uh, a day or two ago. and. Uh, that's a really slick album. I'm looking at it on Bandcamp. Uh, I think, is this, this the one that's called Dream to Machine? Yeah, Dream to Machine. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, okay, I wanted to ask you something about that. Um, at first, you know, when I was listening to it, I hadn't really looked at the, the lineup, you know, who's playing what instruments and stuff. And on a number of those tunes, I could swear I was hearing some Ilian pipes, but there's no Ilian pipes listed now. Is this is this this wind synth that that you're credited with uh, on the on the liner notes? I think notes? I'm guilty. I think that's oh, me. Oh, don't say yes. y'all. Oh, that, that, uh, that I love the, the sound of Ilian pipes. It sounds great. Well, the nice thing is, Zoys is a keyboard player, so I am this. I'm a stick player, and I had I would add wind instruments, so to speak. But the synth, I had a W WX2, I think. I've lost now the box. He would like me to get it back so we could add some more. But it gave him a much more organic sound when we wanted something that, you know, would fit the pieces. Now we had, I think, a real, obviously a real didgeridoo player on it and some other things. But this was meant to be just a production that was influenced by the people we worked with. It wasn't trying to be authentic, this kind of music or you know, in a tradition, it was simply. Yeah, modern. I was trying to categorize it as a. Is this like? A, do you call this a funk atmospheric vibe, or do you call it something? I was trying to figure out what it, I couldn't come up with a description for it. I suppose it stuck us in the world music category, and because Zoyce being a very good modern producer using synths and things like that, but also we had it has a very organic feel to a certain extent, partly because uh -huh. of the wind synth. It sounds more organic, and you could make it sound real. You know, the way you bend it, you can add breath qualities to it. In fact, I wanted to work out, if I'd had the time, I wanted to work out and make it sound like it was speaking fake Portuguese and Brazilian, because I just love the way 
Brazilian singers sound. I don't have to know what they're saying. I just love all the and I wanted to see if I could get that. I wanted to get the wind synth to sound like that. I never got there. But, you know, I know you could probably have programmed it like that. But Portuguese this was, is tough, man. That's a tough language. It's like it's got a little bit of sounds, everything. It, the sound, the, the way the voices are so, you know, wonderful. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. Zoyce would get me to add these kind of things to it. He produced it. Um, and, um, yeah, it. You know, we liked it. You know, it's still luckily well, it's still listenable because yeah. you no, never no, know. No, no, it is. And, and you know, if you're listening, you know, for, to our listeners of the podcast, yeah, go check out Jim Lampy on Bandcamp. We're talking about. I mean, he's got five releases on there, but this is Dream Two Machine, and uh, yeah, just go out there, get on Bandcamp, check it out. It's it's, it's actually really on Spotify cool. also, but it's not under my name. They didn't get it right, so it's under Held Lampy Project. You know, I was a big fan of the the, the Talking Heads and, uh, of course, Crimson and stuff like that. And just that all that kind of organic, groovy feel where it's maybe got Western instruments that are, you know, crossing over into more like traditional percussive instruments. And then you've got these kind of sounds of the day with the D50s and the DX7s and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, the sound of the day, yeah. Yeah, kind of coming together and and, and making this beautiful music. And and, uh, and I did get a chance to listen to a little bit of that. And that's kind of where it took me. And and, um, I suppose that I'm thinking, I'm trying to think of another stick player that's traveled to so many continents and recorded in so many different places. And I I think you may have the record, Jim Lampy. (laughs) I haven't made it, haven't made it to other continents. I played in African bands, but I never, never got a chance to go to Africa. But I played backing an African singer and he would get these amazing opening acts, you know, Mm -hmm. gigs, opening for these guys that would come over. The one, this woman was like 95 from Mozambique, where was she from? Zanzibar. And I guess she, you know, I noticed in the paper when she died, but she'd come out with a big cigar and a glass of whiskey and all the band was over (laughs) like like 65, 70 years old. And we got to open for these people. It was (laughs) just wonderful. And so I'd see the, you know, you got to, as long as I could try to figure out these, the way to play bass was just a complete different approach to some of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, the accents on the, I guess, on the yeah. one. And so as long as I kind of, you know, from playing Latin stuff, at least I had a starting point. Sure, sure. So, so now, so what about these days in, in terms of recording and, and, and playing? I, I seem to recall that you were involved in an event, uh, in some sort of event more recently. So we do like to talk about Chapman Stick events and get togethers and things like that. Hmm. Um, I've always done this, some of the stick seminars. Mm-hmm. And of course, they've gone online. So I, I, I did a, quite a few through the '90s, even with um, Daniel Shell, mm-hmm. um, and those tapping seminars. And of course, it, you, you know, some of the people who came out of that through there were like Marcus Reuter, um, and um, mm-hmm. you know, Verna Splendori, and um, lots of wonderful people. And you got to meet people, and, and of course. Um, We'd go down to Spain, and you just join in and all these, you know, amazing stuff. Um, Guillermo Cedes, wonderful player, and he yeah. would organize these Spanish ones. The next thing you know, you were in one of those pyramid building. Have you ever seen the people pyramid building no. in Spain? No. Bizarre. They get like no. 100 people stacking themselves on top of each other like ants. And suddenly here's a bunch of stick players. We're kind of joining in at the bottom. We were the dodgy ones at the bottom. But it was just, it's magical. And of course, you pick up influences, you know, and you, 
you know, I'm learning as much as they might. I don't know how much they're learning from me, but I'm definitely learning stuff from all of them. Sure. And Absolutely. some people are starting on the stick. Some people have gone on for quite a while. And um, Bruno Ricard in, in France, he's been running one for quite a while now in the South. Yeah. And the French stick players really get together, you know, Yuan, and so they've and I've gone to quite a few of those. Yeah. So all you're, you're, you're talking about very important people in the uh, European Chapman stick I kind of haven't had a chance to go. Um, I got to go meet um, a Pormann in, in uh, Michigan. Glenn at one Pormann, point, yeah. Passenger, mm. yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. Interlochen. Yeah. Interlo he, I never got to Interlochen. I oh. only got to meet him while passing through Michigan because I had relatives in Michigan. Gotcha. Gotcha. But mm. Jim Meyer, um, I had, yeah. I almost Titans. got to do one of his. Yeah. In and I can tell you almost exactly when it was. It must have been two thousand and eight or nine, mm -hmm. because what happened is um, I was going to go first see my parent, uh, my mother, and everything in California. Go up to Seattle, join this, and go back. Right. So that was helping my way to get to California. And the day that I got there, um, my my wife calls me and says we have twins right at that point they were probably three four years old and the the boy couldn't walk he suddenly said mom i can't walk and we didn't know what was wrong but the the people at the local nhs thing said take her to the hospital right away and they said well it's either it's either he's got a hip uh, virus or it's bacterial or he has cancer and you know, and I'm I'm in Canada, <laughs> so gig over. Yeah. Well, it kind of. I was really slightly embarrassed, but you know, obviously, I had, I needed to leave. So I like that night. I got managed to get a plane for the next day. Did one gig at night. Going, thanks, Jim. That was wonderful fun, and um, I've got to go now. I, I was so. at that seminar. That was, I think that you was 20, were. I think that was 2013. Yeah. I apologize again. No, it was, well, I mean, it was, <laughs> I, you know. I just it, felt like, what an idiot. I show up for one day and go, gotta go. See you I, later. Well, I think, I think we got to see you play. And then I think we had like a workshop in the morning and then you, you had to split. But it I mean, obviously. Uh, we did an interview or something. Yeah. And then I got on a plane that afternoon. I mean, of all the reasons you might need to leave, that's probably a pretty good one. No, know. it was. I mean, I felt, I felt, I felt bad yeah. for being in Canada at that time, and I felt, you know, bad for not being home and leaving Canada. Oh so. no! You know, hey, yeah, my kids got problems. Screw you all! I'm going home. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's the way that it was. Kind, exactly. That was kind of the obvious choice, right? Like, yeah, yeah, you gotta I get know. Home. <laughs> but I still felt pretty bad. I dumped it on Jim, and I and um, so can I put you on the spot a little bit? Um, put me on the spot. So you're the kind of individual with your experience and knowledge and background. You're typically someone who comes to a seminar and you've got something to teach or something to tell people and, and to help them learn. Can you give like a, just a, a, a four or five minute maybe, uh, you know, granted we're on audio, so you can't point at an instrument or anything like that. But what would you well, teach move someone? Your left hand. Move, move your left hand over there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So so if you know, if you're at a seminar, what are you teaching? Um, I'm kind of in a situation, it depends on what seminar it was and, and who it was. Um, Daniel had me actually doing more performance based because he was approaching it more like a classical instrument and reading and that kind of thing. And I think one of them, Marcus, was teaching his approach to the tapping instruments. 
And so I was almost doing more like, let's, let's pretend we're not Chapman stick players. Sometimes that was one of the classes and okay, you're going to be the bass parts. Um, <laughs> you know, we'd split them up into groups and an instant, instant, uh, composition, you know, okay. Sure. You organize yourself. Um, this time, okay. You're, you're the bass, you're higher end, you, you're percussion. And they'd have to come up with something and then we're the audience. The rest of the class is the audience. And then they would have to perform something. You know, they would talk about it for a couple of minutes and then they would perform something. And sometimes it was wonderful. Sometimes they were, you know, completely embarrassed by the whole situation. Some people thought, this is a stupid class. What am I doing here? But it also was thinking, it's not just a string instrument. You've got people in the range of low basses and if you do this to the instrument you can get a a certain kind of vibrato you can get rumbling sounds and if you if you mute the strings like this and play it you're like timbal and tuned percussion and 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 if you stick a piece of metal in the strings you suddenly have you know some type of cymbal sounds and this can you can get orchestral sounds out of it and and so that was kind of the and also it was supposed to be about performance so they had all it wasn't like we'll just go one, two, three, and then all kind of stop. They had to think, okay, you know, one, two, what's the tempo? What is the, what's the, is it it's going to start very, you know, pizzicato? You know, is it going to be, what's the emotion of it? So it sounds sure. a little bit like uh, it was, you know, stretching your mind and maybe doing a little bit of improv. I mean, there had to be improv if this was, yeah. if you were sticking people together that had not played together before and, and giving them assignments and okay, great. Now run. That sounds, that sounds like a really good exercise to do. There's a lot of players that don't want to get up there by themselves and play the Chapman stick in front of a room full of Chapman stick players. So yeah, and it gives you a little bit of security. It was permission to fail because it was only like the class. So there, let's say there's 10 stick players, 10, 15 stick players. And you're doing this in, in two hours. So it's, it's no big deal to be completely horrible. But occasionally something wonderful comes out of it. And some right. people in the first are completely embarrassed. And then by the end, maybe they're joining in. They, you say, OK, you are covering this kind of sound. You don't allow them to play the stick, so to be sense. You're saying you are the percussion section. Let's say let's take it a little more extreme. So you can play percussion on the stick. You can, you know, in take in these kind of ideas. So, you know, some people just suddenly shine on different things. Some people, of course, would almost like drop out completely. Some people, obviously, the better technique you have on an instrument, the more ideas you have on how to bring out a sound. But it was also about performance. You know, is it, is there an ending? Is there a middle? Is there a way to enter this piece? Does it change in tempo? Does it, you know, does this change in volume? That kind of thing. And then sometimes I had, I was teaching some of the things I'd learned with Tuck, you know, in terms of let's organize the instrument. Let's just not learn tunings. I mean, let's not learn just how to put, this is a C chord, this is an F chord. Let's work out how you can work out all the chords on any string instrument, actually. But how did the force and fifths relate to each other? Go home, you know, work it all out yourself to a certain extent. That's good. I like that. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're coming up on time, but there were a couple of things that I, I did want to, and generally Victor asks this question, we'd like to ask this question as well. And that is, is 
we'd like to get some Jim Lampy music. Where do we generally find that? Um, like I said, Spotify, Bandcamp. Um, I've been like everyone in lockdown, you know, alone in my room. Yeah. Um, I decided it'd be time to to do kind of another solo kind of album. And again, okay, if you compose on the stick and you don't have to worry about an audience and you're not playing with a lot of other people. So in a sense, it's like a pianist going, okay, I want to write some piano piano music. So in a sense, I'm trying to write some stick music in a sense. Sure. Or music composed on the stick. Music and for see the what I come up with, but not worry about what category it fits in or yeah yeah you know who you know who mentioned that was um, uh, who am I thinking of the guy that played in Porcupine Tree um, Stephen Wilson Stephen Wilson he's like I, I'm through writing for genres and I'm through being defined and I don't want to and that's a, I think that's important to do with the Chapman stick because it's like well wait a minute am I playing the bass part or am I doing this and the other let's say in a traditional sense pianists have always turned around and write, here's a, here's a bunch of piano studies just for the nature of, oh, you can do this on the piano. And, you know, and because they're pianists, they know what they're doing. So I'm a, a stickist who's played for a little while and I'm going, well, one of them, I'll send you, I'll send you one piece that's basically, I, I was thinking in the back of my mind, let's say the influence was um, just had twins. Um, you walk outside and all the bells, all the churches in London are kind of going off. Sometimes, you know how they go out of dissonance and they do, 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 you know, and there's a bunch of them. So I'll send you that. That's kind of an idea of one of the compositions. You know, so it's my Charles Ives approach, you know. Sure, like two marching bands crossing each other. Is that, you know, that one? Yeah, yeah. He actually wrote a piece. that one. Have you have you heard about this? He's got two marching bands that cross each other on a street, and so this Who, is the. Who's that composer? That's Ives. That's Ives. Is that a Charles Ives? Yeah, yeah. Okay, Charles Ives. This was my Charles Ives moment on the Chapman stick, you know. Yeah. funny because that i mean that bell thing that's a very european thing I, i've never heard that like when you go to europe that's the sound of like you don't hear that in the u.s as far like well i don't know yeah, it's a weird, that's interesting okay yeah. maybe it's yeah. just me i don't i, I don't well just, me without any sleep and just having twins <laughs> capture <laughs> that out of the hospital the bells were a little annoying, I guess. Here's your motivation. But I, yeah, and then I started with that. Of course, it doesn't completely reflect that, but that was the start. And I happened to find, oh, this sounds a bit bell-like. And then... So, Jim, another question that I wanted to ask, uh, do you teach? I give lessons, yes. Okay, so, so there are people that sometimes ask, hey, I'm in England and I just got this instrument. Who do I call to get lessons from? So if someone wanted to take some Zoom lessons or some Skype lessons from Jim Lampy, right. how would they get a hold of you? What would the email be? A Jim at LampyMedia.com. And Lampy Media is L-A-M-P-I-M-E-D-I-A. That's correct. 
Com. Great. There it you have it, It was the 90s. Folks. I had to come up with something. And also, you know, these are we're talking Zoom and Skype lessons here. So people, if you want to take lessons from Jim, you don't have to be in England. <laughs> you don't have to be in England now. There's still not a lot of stick players in England uh, in some ways. But we have a little group that we get together every every year a couple of times and have little events. Well, there's so another reason to email Jim is to find out where these events are so you can show up. I'm speaking to, uh, you know, there have been a few new stick owners uh, in England that I've been hearing about you know, on Facebook or on Stickist or other social media places. And uh, you know, you've got a few, I think you have some new instrument owners in the United Kingdom. And uh, yeah, it, you know, uh, stick gatherings are really useful. They're important. They, you, you actually, your learning accelerates in a way that you really can't describe or Unless you've oh, been yeah, to one, it's, it's hard to envision. And uh, so get a hold of Jim. Yeah. Yeah. And I will name you towards, they, I think there's one in August. And I think oh, because excellent. finding a venue has been quite difficult because sometimes because it's London, it's like probably they, a lot of big cities, it costs a fortune sometimes. We did some in a big venue and brought people in and you end up, the poor person who was fronting it, who had a real job, <laughs> went broke, I think, sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So, um, it's yeah, nice. thank you. Yeah, that's good to know. That's very good to know. Yeah, well, there's going to be one in the beginning of August, and it's um, probably a, yeah, they can contact. There's a UK stick group, I think, gotcha. on yeah. Facebook. So, Jim, we've covered kind of your history, your musical history. We've covered your discovery of the Chapman Stick and the travels. We've covered um, your work as a rep in Europe uh, for Stick Enterprises and all these great stories. I suppose, in closing, what sort of advice would you have for uh, the new stick player, someone who's just picked up the instrument? Well, it's actually a really good time to learn an instrument, isn't it? It's a great way to put it. Yeah, that's yeah, a great way to put it. Yeah. You Why not the so Chapman stick, right? <laughs> Why not the Chapman stick? I suppose the first big drawback is just getting an instrument. Every, you know, there are some limitations. A lot of people, it's still expensive. Find a good instrument. doesn't have to be the best instrument in the world or the fanciest instrument. It just has to be playable, doesn't it? And also, one of the things, okay, everybody's different, you know. I have certain things I can do. Some people hate my playing, some people like my playing, but there's certain things I'm me, and you're sure. you, and you know what I mean? We all sound, we all have different technical abilities at certain, even in certain fingers, you know. I would say one of the best things I always think is record yourself and try to be critical. So therefore, it's not like me saying, yes, but I... You may be playing well, but I don't like your sound. It's maybe, do you actually like your sound? So just get it. It's so easy now to record. I just, found, you know, like I put on GarageBand and record through the, how I was writing this piece. I was going, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm working on something or I'm trying to, this album, and I, I can just automatically sit there, hit GarageBand, record and go, no, that's not music. It may be me whittling away, but I don't like that. If you're learning to play and you're, maybe you're trying to, you know, great imitation is a great thing, isn't it? You have a piece of music you love. You want to sound like Miles Davis, but you're playing stick, you know, or, um, but you record yourself and you listen. In fact, I, I think first person of all things, I think it was Carlos Santana said something because he didn't read or anything, but he used to just record himself and say, that's me. That's not me. Maybe that's what I'm trying to say in the simplest form. Sure. Oh. 
I like that, but that sounds like me. That doesn't really sound, that sounds like me pretending to be. Interesting. So your musical form in like an audio only world, like what, not what do well, you I look? Read, I read, not great. I play Bach like everybody. It's a great, you know, it's wonderful music on the stick. So um, I've been playing for a long time. I've been playing pieces, but I would, wouldn't play them in public because I just don't think they sound like, you know. But that's how I warm up every day. You sure. play some box because it's yeah. oh, like wow. perfect little compositions. If now this were now a different episode, it. I would have. I'd, I'd be. I'd be all over you for that. No. But I know there's lots of box players. It's kind of fun because I suddenly realized there's all these stick box players. Yeah. So actually, one of the things in our episode number five that we were talking about that uh, uh, where we spent the entire episode talking about playing Bach on stick uh, plug, go back and check out tap and time episode number five. It's one of my number favorites. Five, I will. Uh, anyway. Um, but the, the nice thing about Bach pieces though, is that if you're, if you're playing out on a small gig, a lot of the Bach pieces that you might play are recognizable. And that, that, is good for an audience we were talking about. Uh, you know, That's okay, great. True. If you get a, if you, if you get a bang out, you know, uh, a two part invention, okay. You know, some of them are recognizable, some of them, maybe not, but you know, well, those if were you the can, ones I was kind of learning from the beginning. And so in the nineties, when I would start. Yeah. But there's a lot of box stalwarts, stalwarts though, that even the simple, like, like the, you know, minuet and G major, everyone knows that maybe yeah. even both versions of it, you know, and anyway, okay. I, I should get off. This isn't a Victor Bruin episode. But no, but that's, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I should have learned. I just don't feel, I didn't feel like my performances didn't sound like it just okay, there like is that. Stick, it yeah. sounded like me trying to play Bach, you know, and <laughs> I wasn't good enough and the sound didn't sound appropriate. Just like, you know, it's no there. Yeah, there, there, like, there is that. That's very true. Yeah. So. And okay. so I'd, I'd have to work on the tonality and everything. But, you know, classical pieces. The other thing, though, actually, is you take the Bach and you try to play it the way it's written. So if you're taking a two part invention, you don't try to modify it. You try to figure out how would you do this? So sometimes there's a oh, I don't remember the number. Um, which piece would that be? You can hum um, it. No, I can't remember. It's one of the first ones I learned. I can't remember the numbers anymore. Number one in C. Yeah, okay. There's one point where you can't play it, at least I couldn't, with my tuning. And that's another thing. Everybody's tuning is different, isn't it? Wink, wink. Yeah, so everybody's tuning is different. So in, in my, I'm using standard tuning standard tuning on a 12 string. But what I could do is so in order to get the parts to fit, and I don't remember where it is, I could play it the way it's written by playing both hands on the on the treble side. So I simply have to come up with a clever way that nobody notices I left the bass side and I stick this hand suddenly takes the bass part and this hand suddenly takes another I know the range. part you're talking of. I know oh. the part you're talking of. It's in the exposition, and it's that da di da 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 di da di da 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 di 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 you know, sure. stereo and stern is spread, but not worried about having a bass sound and a treble sound. I'm just kind of playing more like a piano player playing a complete instrument. I think that's a very important point about with the Chapman stick. And that is, is don't say left, right. Don't say bass melody. 
it's a puzzle and you're putting it together and do what and serve the music, so to speak, you know, act as this delivery method for beautiful music. Well, there's constantly writing like that. If I can't figure out how to do it, either change hands, like there was one piece on the first album. I was trying to play that on the bass, but I was trying to get it down in a lower register and I couldn't figure out. So I would fill it in with don't. Because of the fifths, you know, it automatically sets some of the notes up higher. And then I wanted to play the other part in a register more like a guitar register. So that forced me to play with my left hand. And also, I just wanted to change hands. So I would feel it. But if you play fast enough, you hear boom, 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 boom. Boom, boom. And this is down in the low register. And I was trying to get so I could play um, claves and, and different claves part. And then I had to turn it into a melody. So often I'll take a, something I'm trying to learn and then I'll hide it all in a melody. I'll hide <laughs> it into a piece. Like I wanted to do, what, who's, who's the wrote Paris, Paris, Texas, the music to it? Paris, Texas. Remember the movie? I think I do remember really, that movie. Really, uh, guitarist, great, kind of this really evocative, big sound. Yeah. But I wanted to sound more like a string player in a bass and a little bit of Stanley Clark thrown in. And so by playing the bass side, I could play that traditional E kind of first position E like on a guitar that everybody knows that sound, you know, and I could play this kind of Stanley Clark slightly bass chord in this thing and play it slow and therefore it took on more guitarish sounding music that yeah. maybe that i say i was trying to arrange in my head i'm trying to arrange so so now i'm just trying to because i only can play with myself that doesn't sound right um <laughs> Stick players, we, we know it well. We like yes, if there's anyone yeah. that knows how to play with themselves. But yeah, uh, I know. There's so many innuendos <laughs> with a stick, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> I said it, Claire. Sorry, <laughs> Claire's nodding her head. She's just yeah, like, she's Claire's going. Oh, it's happened again. Well, you know, actually, <laughs> this is the first. It took episode 27 for that to finally come up. I'm so sorry, actually, Claire. We've lowered the standard 27 episodes, and it's me. Maybe I'm a European now, and we lower the standard always. <laughs> You know what, Jim? You have raised the standard of tap and time. I'm. I. I. I do. I know that we're at time, but uh, I, I did want to make sure that we that we talked a little bit about where to find your music right now and what you're working on. And and you know, for the record, when when Jim and I originally spoke, Jim was playing uh, Jack of Speed. Uh, if you know the Steely Dan album, Two of a Perfect, no, was it uh, Two Against Nature, yeah. which is a great song. And I thought... It is. It's a great yeah. song. And it sounds really cool on the Chapman stick. So if you do think to just maybe put a little bit of that out there in like a one-minute YouTube video, it would be so wonderful to hear because it's, 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 a, it's such a fun song and kind but of But I got to get able to perform it right. That was the thing about Tuck and Patty. One Fair guitar, enough. one voice. Gotcha. It's got to be, it's got to sound like you, un, you, you understand it. Yeah. And, and, and you know, and, and Tony Levin said this in our last interview and he said it to all of us. He said, just do your thing. Right. I think he said it to Victor specifically, but he's just like, play like Victor. Right. Right. Am I, Victor, am <laughs> just I, am be I hitting Victor. him? Yes. Just yeah, be Victor, Victor. <laughs> well, I'm just trying to be Steely Dan. I'm sorry. <laughs> See, that's what, that's where it gets really difficult. You're trying to be <laughs> something else. I I still carry on. I still can play Peg. Yeah. And, but it's fun. It's fun. And it's yeah. another version of music. It's just musical. Sure. It has a great swing to it. 
lyrics are darker than you think they are. That's true. Yeah. There's always kind of, it's a double-edged sword there. Um, yeah. But I did want to thank you for, for making time for us. And, oh, thank uh, you. Yeah. And, and it's it's such a pleasure to, to hear Come the story. Come across the pond. Yeah. Well, when we do, I, I know who to call. I'm lonely over here. <laughs> so we hope you'll keep <laughs> us posted on events and recordings and things that you've got going out there in the UK. And that... Um, um, if and when you're able, if you do come out here, you'll, you'll rattle our cage and um, just keep us posted on things that you're going on. We wanted to thank you for your time, for making time for us well, and for you. answering all our questions. It's been a real pleasure. It's been a pleasure for me, too. Thanks very much. And nice to meet all of you in the way. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's great to meet you, Jim. Thank you. Yeah. Great. So for all of you out there that are listening to this episode, thanks a lot for taking the time to listen. We do appreciate it. And we hope that in the next 24 hours, you get a chance to pick up your instrument and play for a while. Goodbye. Bye. Bye now. Bye-bye. We don't care about your comments, but if you want to leave them anyways, you can contact us at tapintimepodcasts at gmail.com. 